0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as our guest speaker delivers this week's message. All right, if you have your Bibles with you today, if you could open them up to Luke chapter 9. Turn And as you're turning there, I just want to share with you a story about a very well-known missionary, and his his name is Hudson Taylor. Now, Hudson Taylor did not have the luxury that we have today when he became a missionary. We get to, I don't know that it's a luxury to be on a plane for 24 hours, but uh, we're going to be getting on a plane on Tuesday as long as our COVID tests are negative. Um, and we'll be traveling for 24 hours, and 20 of that will probably be on the plane, I think, if I'm correct. But when Hudson Taylor was a missionary, he traveled by a sailing vessel. Now imagine trying to get to your country by a sailing vessel. And as he traveled there as, as a missionary, on his first missionary journey, the, the seas, the wind wasn't blowing anymore. The water was just drifting wind wasn't blowing. They weren't able to guide their sailing vessel. They didn't have all the technology with the ships that we have today. And the crew is starting to get nervous because they're gradually drifting toward an island. They're starting to get really nervous. And the captain remembers that they have a missionary downstairs. And so he goes downstairs really, really panicking and and knocks on the missionary's door. And the missionary comes to the door and says, how can I help you? And he says, you believe in God, right? Yeah, I believe in God well, we, we have no wind and we have a sailing vessel and, and we're gradually drifting towards these islands over here. We fear they're going to be cannibals over there. We're going to be eaten. We're going to crash. We're, we're really scared. Can you, can you pray and talk to your God and ask for a wind? And Hudson Taylor said, no problem. I'll, I'll ask for a wind. I'll pray and I'll talk to God and I'll ask for a wind. But what I want you to do is I want you to go upstairs and I want you to set the sails. Now, if you're familiar with sailing vessels, you don't set the sails until there's wind. And so this was going to require a huge step of faith. And he said, well, the sailors will think I'm crazy if I tell them to set the sailing vessels now before there's wind. And and Hudson Taylor was really persistent and said, I need you to go upstairs and set the sailing vessels. So he he goes upstairs, and he returns. Forty-five minutes later, he finds the missionary still on his knees praying and talking to God. And he says, missionary. We have more wind than we know what to do with. You can stop praying now. You know, in life, we see people who live experiencing greater degrees of God's blessings in their life. There are people who live in such a way that their faith is obvious and God's blessings on those people are equally as obvious. The life of faith, which we're going to talk about today, is lived where there are many unknowns. Hudson Taylor as a missionary, constantly found himself in situations where there were many unknowns, and many of those times, his first thought was, "Hey, I'm going to trust God with this. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to talk to God." Hudson Taylor listened when God said, "Follow me." We have many examples of the life of faith throughout the Bible. In Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to take a look at that later on, it has several different stories of men and women experiencing this life of faith. We take a look at some of those more familiar stories that a lot of us are familiar with, Noah. Now imagine Noah, and he's, he's in a day and an age where there's no social media, there's no 24-hour news coverage, um, but I guarantee you that word was starting to spread that Noah... Is telling people that he was told by God to build this ark, this huge ship, in the in the middle of dry land, and he was following God's instructions day by day. I bet you word was starting to spread there was this crazy guy over there building an ark, building a ship, day by day, saying I'm following exactly what God wants me to do, step by step. What if it did not rain? Noah had a lot of faith in God. We take a look at David's life. Now, David is somebody, if you really study out his life, we can can all probably relate to pretty easy because he has his ups and downs on the faith journey. And this particular situation is a story that we're all familiar with. And it's when David faced Goliath. He has an entire military army behind him. And they're all terrified to step out on the battlefield and face Goliath. So David says, I will do it. And the military starts trying to offer him armor. He rejects it, body armor. They start to offer him weapons, and he rejects them. And he walks out of that battlefield with a slingshot and some stones. And he faces this giant of a man. Goliath. Now remember, he's got an entire army behind him, but they're not going to back him up. They're terrified. He can't call in drone strikes. They don't have that kind of technology yet. No airstrikes. Military, his only backup is not going to step out there with him. They're terrified. And he faces Goliath completely trusting God to provide. And then Another familiar story with this is when, when Joseph is facing Pharaoh and he's getting ready to tell them that there's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. Now before this, remember Joseph's been in jail because he was falsely accused of something and Pharaoh has put him in jail. And he's been, he's been spending a long time in jail and then all of a sudden... Pharaoh hears that Joseph can interpret these dreams, and he stands before Pharaoh. I remember the first time, uh, one of these times, Pharaoh sent him to jail for something he didn't do. So what if Joseph is wrong? Or, or what if Pharaoh doesn't like what Joseph has to say about the seven years of feast and seven years of famine coming? Joseph had to have a lot of faith in God, just like all these people in Hebrews chapter 11, um, Noah and David. All of these men were in situations where there were many unknowns. And their first choice was, God, I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to completely trust you with this. And I believe that's exactly where God wants you and I on a regular basis. Where our first thought is, I'm going to pray about this. Um, God, I'm going to trust you to provide. I'm not going to try to work it out on my own. Are you living a life of faith? Are you living a life of faith? Are there instances that you can look back on recently where you can honestly say you were in a situation where there were many unknowns and you had no choice but to trust God? That was your first thought. Hey, I'm I'm going to trust God with this. I'm going to pray about this. Or did you try to work it out on your own? Every one of you can live a life of faith by learning from these two examples found in the Bible. The first example in Luke chapter 9 is the example of excuses. The first example is the example of excuses. And in Luke chapter 9, we are getting ready to see three people, three people that literally are going to have the opportunity given to them to walk with Jesus to experience what all those other disciples experienced when Jesus was here on earth. And, and they're given the opportunity. And let's see what their responses are. Luke chapter 9, three potential disciples. And we'll pick up the story in verse 57. And it came to pass that as, a certain, as they went a certain way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. He said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go and bid them farewell at my home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand in the plow, is fit for the kingdom of God. So we take a look at the first guy in verse 57, and this guy says, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll follow you. I'll do what you want me to do, but first. Jesus starts explaining to him what it might look like, his living conditions. And this guy's gone. He's not describing a three-bedroom, two-and-a-half-bath home, and and this guy's gone. And we don't think we hear from him again. Lord, I'll follow you. And then he starts to get some of the details, and and he's gone. Second guy in verse 59, to this guy, Jesus gives the invitation, says, follow me. And the guy says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first. First. Basically, uh, he was specifically maybe talking about going to get it in his his inheritance. When everything works out financially, God, then I'll do what you want me to do. God, I'll do what you want me to do, but uh, we got to do some financial work first. Then I'll come. Third guy, verse 61, this guy jumps up and says, Lord, I'll follow you. That sounds really good. I'm in. Count me in. But first, I need to go do one more thing. The bottom line is delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Now, missionaries and pastors struggle with these things also, just like people sitting here in this audience. These are we, we all have struggles in our walks of faith. We're, we're no different. As you saw in the video, um, I was doing missions trips. I was uh, going to the country of Nicaragua, the Philippines, um, Africa. And I was negotiating with God because I wanted to somehow tell God, hey, I'm going to do this law enforcement thing. I, I'm not doing that missionary thing. I'm, I'm going to do it right here. I'm going I'm to live um, the way I want to live, but I'll, I'll serve you on Sundays. I'll do some stuff on Wednesdays, and maybe I'll go on some missions trips every once in a while. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Have you ever felt like God was prompting you to do something? What was your response? What was your initial response? God works through processes a little at a time. See, we're all waiting for our big break, but it's not coming because we're missing out on what appears to be some smaller things before that. I remember when I first got started in ministry, um, I didn't really know what I was, I was doing, and so I just said, I'm going to start serving, and I talked to the children's director, and she put me in there with uh, so, uh, some children in the children's ministry. Now, I worked in law enforcement, and so I thought, okay, um, I can do this because I'll just guard the door. <laughs> I'm not going to let these people out, and uh, if if they get out, we're going to obviously have some kind of protocol in mind, and and, uh, they're not going to escape, and so I thought that was going to be my mission in children's ministry is just don't let them escape, because I don't know anything about kids at this point. I still don't, but uh, I I did not. I knew less back then, but uh, very, very quickly, the children's director continued asking me to teach, and I was terrified because I've never taught before. And this might seem like a small thing to some of you, but uh, this was a a pretty big deal to me. And even looking at other Bible college students, I was like, uh, this doesn't seem like as important as some of the other jobs some of the other Bible college students were doing. But uh, remember I said God works through processes a little at a time. He gradually prepares you for the next step. And finally, I started teaching kids and, and we started um, doing other areas of ministry, and God was training me up step by step. We don't get the chance to be faithful in the big things until we have shown God our faithfulness in the small things first. And there are some things that we view as small that are actually a really big deal. Children's ministry is a huge deal. It, um, there, you can be used in amazing ways to be used by God. But we look at different things in church ministry and we say, well, that that seems like a small thing. I want to go do some of the bigger things. We don't get the chance to be faithful in the big things until we have shown God our faithfulness in the big things first. In Matthew chapter 25, 21 says this, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Now, I would imagine you love um, when a friend or family member gives you a compliment or maybe even a coworker or a supervisor gives you a compliment that makes you feel good. One of the things that we've realized um, in the last couple of years, I think we've always known it, but it's been a constant reminder in the past couple of years because of COVID, is we never know when our last day on earth could be. And I would imagine one of the greatest compliments that you and I could get, one of the most amazing compliments you and I could get is, as this is our last day on earth, we enter into heaven, and God meets us at the door and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But a lot of times what we end up doing is we give God excuses. Lord, I'll give you money, but first you got to give it to me. God, I'll trust you with that, but let me try to work it out on my own first. First, let me see how it's going to end up. What's the rest of the story? Maybe God wants you to start tithing. Maybe God wants you to give more to missions, and we say, well, first I need to, to pay off this bill, or I need to get a raise. All the excuses that we make just prevents us from taking those steps of faith. The third guy says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first. The second example this morning is the example of obedience. The second example is example of obedience. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. Now in this chapter, we're going to see Jesus send out 70 people two by two. Let's go ahead and see how they respond. In Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 4. After these things, the Lord appointed another seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face, and to every city and place, whether he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves." Right up front, one of the things that catches me in this passage is Jesus tells us, I want you to follow me, but it's not always going to be easy. As we prepare to be missionaries in the Philippines, um, that was a a challenging process because we've never never gone around and, and raised support before. Rachel was a dental hygienist. I was in law enforcement. We made our own money. And now we go around and we're asking churches to to jump on board with us and and get involved with us as missionaries in the Philippines. And that was brand new for us. Right up front, Jesus says it's not going to be easy. The last six years in the Philippines, we've had a lot of good times, but we've had a lot of extremely hard times. The last two years in the Philippines, we just came back three months ago. We took a three month furlough. So every time that we leave our house in the Philippines, we had to have our vaccination card, we had to have our face mask, our face shield, and everywhere we go, that has to be on, and temperature check. So that's a lot of fun, and that's obviously a lot of stress. It's not not fun at all whatsoever, and it's hot, and it's sticky there, and you're wearing these face masks and face shield, and it's just, uh, it's not a fun thing to experience. And, and COVID, COVID-19 is obviously not fun to experience, but these last couple of years in the Philippines have been super challenging because of the additional restrictions that we've experienced in the Philippines as we try to do ministry or as we try to live our everyday lives. Now, Jesus had approximately 120 followers at the time of his death. Well, when he ascended into heaven, he had 120 followers at the time he ascended into heaven. Now, what would have happened if those people would have said... Lord, I'll follow you, but first. Think about it. 120 people is really not that many people. And God used those 120 people to spread the gospel so rapidly that it went in many different parts of the world and it even eventually came here. And it's lasted this long, this many years later. What about the coming generations? How is God going to use you to reach your friends, your family, your co-workers, and the coming generations, your kids, your grandkids, with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Jesus only tells us enough a lot of times so that you and I will take the next step. And in Psalms 119, 105, it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And a light into my path. So imagine, I mean, this is literally what uh, God's saying is, thy word, the Bible, his word, is a lamp into my feet and a light into my path. And what he's describing here is an old fashioned lamp. It's not an LED lamp, not high powered, but uh, just a little bit of light. It's going to shine it down your feet and you hold it. And you got to get from. One end of the room that's completely dark holding this lamp, and it's just going to give you just enough light to take one step at a time. And that's what God's saying here is my word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. Let's finish up the story in Luke chapter ten, verses seventeen. And the seventy returned again with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject to us and through thy name us unto unto us through thy name. They were excited, and they were joyful. But if they would have been like the people in Luke chapter 9, they never would have experienced God's power working through them in the ways that they did. Looking forward, there's going to be lots of questions. And a lot of times when God wants you to do something or he's prompting you to do something, it's not going to make a lot of sense. It's not going to, you're not going to understand it. But many times, looking back, you'll see how God used those processes to prepare you for the next step. But I wonder how many times we don't do what God wants us to do with our lives. The problem is we can develop a pattern of rationalizing and reasoning away God's prompting on our heart. I remember two years ago when um, when the Philippines shut down, we made the decision to stay, and they said, okay, you cannot go out of your house uh, except for one day a week for food, and uh, that's it um, food and hospital that's it uh, pretty much only medical workers were working and food places were working but that was about it the Philippines government gave us a paid vacation obviously um, they didn't pay us but you know we're, we're missionaries and we're supposed to be out doing missionary work and they say stay home <clears throat> so I was like some of you and we're like yes a vacation a mandatory vacation, and I'm just going to sit home. I'm going I'm to catch up on Netflix. I'm going to um, practice magic. I'm going to have a lot of fun. Then about two weeks into, we start to realize that the Philippines government is not providing um, very much food and um, food relief and things like that to the people. Um, obviously, with over 100 million people, that's a lot to uh, provide for. And they've said, everybody stay home. You can only go to the market one day a week, um, and we're going to have a little pass, so we know that this is your day to shop. Um, but you just told everybody they have no jobs, and you're, you're staying home, and you're not giving them very much food. And so now remember, the government says, you, you have to stay home. And, and I really wanted that vacation, to be honest with you. And that two weeks was a nice vacation, but we started to realize people in our ministry area were not um, – they, they were in need of food and supplies. So we went to our local government office in our ministry area. We said, hey, um, one of the opportunities to get out was food relief. If you're willing to do food relief, if you're willing to provide supplies, you can get out. So we said, hey, we want to provide uh, food relief to the people that are in our Bible studies. Can we do that? Can you write us a pass to get in? Now, this was a pretty cool pass because this literally accessed our entire town, even like the, clo- the closed subdivisions, that wouldn't let you in. Um, it was pretty cool to say, I got this pass. I could get in this neighborhood. No, you can't. No, look at this. Your, your captain said I could. So that was fun because that was one of the few times that I could say, no, you don't. You don't have power. Your, your captain told me I could get in. So a lot of times people just make up rules just to show you that they're in charge. I don't know if you ever experienced that. But we experienced that quite a bit. So it was cool to to be able to have an all-access pass to be able to get into our ministry areas to do food relief. And that food relief to those families really helped us continue to build relationships with those families. Um, We were able to start additional Bible studies with the families. Those 11 uh, salvations and baptisms that we had, during one of the few open times in the Philippines about six months ago. That, um, was, that was a part of that whole food relief effort. We just were able to continue keeping those relationships active, continue to get to see people because we were constantly giving them food. Once a week, we'd go out to different Bible study sections and give food. But the problem was is I was rationalizing and reasoning away God's prompting on my heart. I was saying, no, no, the government said, I'm on vacation, stay home. They didn't say vacation, but they said stay home, and I translated vacation. But also, if you remember two years ago, everybody's in like these hazmat suits, and that's exactly how it was in the Philippines. They were were, like triple-masked and uh, goggles and all this kind of crazy stuff. And like we honestly, a lot of our missionary friends, a lot of missionaries were leaving the Philippines and they were just going home. And we decided to stay, and and so we're like, oh man, this is, this is risky. We could get this plague that everybody thinks that uh, is just gonna just kill us all if we stay here. So it was scary and, and we, were, we were coming up with all kinds of ways to reason away and rationalize God's prophecy on our heart. But God used those steps of faith to help us continue to build relationships that led to salvations and baptisms. If you wait, you have all the answers to all of your questions And it makes perfect sense that's not living a life of faith. I want to challenge you today as we get ready to close to do what God's asking you to do without the answers to all of your questions. Are you living a life of excuses or a life of obedience? Every one of you can live a life of faith by learning from these two examples found in the Bible. Example one, we saw Luke chapter 9, the example of excuses. Excuses. An example, to the example of obedience that we see in Luke chapter 10. By living a life of obedience, you are living a life of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in prayer. Our Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity today to come and share how you're um, using the people right here in Taylorville, Illinois, um, through us in the Philippines, through their prayers and their financial support. I thank you so much for the opportunity to open your word and share and challenge um, each and every person in this room to to, to continue trying to live this life of faith with your strength, with your guidance. I just ask that you will just help us uh, trust you, to follow you, and to continue taking those steps of faith. In your name I pray. Amen.